when you go into those moments of performance, moments that are meant to be these ecstatic, exquisite experiences and offering to an audience, um, it's so amazing how quickly you can get into a state of being that just zaps you out of the presence of what that experience really could be. Welcome to the Artist Becoming Podcast. Hey, Jess. Hey, Shelby, a five, six, seven, eight. Join us in weekly conversations with performing artists across stages, studios, rinks, fields, and screens. Every conversation, a chance to dive deep into the story of their becoming. All right, Shelby, let's get on into it. Welcome to another episode of Inside Out, Small Chats, Big Topics, where together we discuss some big topics that are circulating our industry, those ones that we just don't usually get to talk about. We're going to share some personal insights, stories, good giggles, nitty-gritty challenging sides of the industry that we just don't usually sit with. And if you have a topic you'd like to hear us talk about, DM us your thoughts at artistbecoming on Instagram or send us an email at artistbecoming at gmail.com. Hey, Jess. Hey, Shelby. We're back, friends. Another episode of Small Chats, Big Topics. And today we are going to talk about performance anxiety. Performance anxiety, that is a rough one. (laughs) Um, And it manifests in different ways for all of us. It is a very broad sweeping spectrum of of experience. And so we're just going to unpack that today um, and kind of chat from our own, from our own wells. Um, Jess, do you want to lead us off on this topic? I would love to know about your relationship with performance anxiety, if, or when it evolved over the course of your training, your career, um, maybe even ways that you've learned to manage or gain control back over it. Want to dive in? Mm -hmm. Oh man. (laughs) Oh, I have anxiety right now. (laughs) anxiety is my vibe baseline anxious baseline anxious I mean in a cute way I would hope but (laughs) I mean we can dive into attachment styles later but that's for a whole other topic but what I will say is um yeah I think this is incredibly relevant and it started to be something that we brought up as a topic because as we've been having these guest artist interviews, it's come up kind of across the board about just when you're seeking excellence in your craft and in your artistry and so much of your identity, like we talked about last week, is woven into it. When you go into those moments of performance, those kind of moments that are meant to be these ecstatic, exquisite experiences and offering to an audience. um, It's so amazing how quickly you can get into a state of being that just zaps you out of the presence of what that experience really could be. And that in order to really be at that peak state of um, expansion in your artistry, you've got to find a way to kind of really drop in and not reach that elevated state of that pressure that we're applying to ourselves. And that's really where the performance anxiety kicks in. And yeah, I really, really struggle. I really dealt with this. Um, 
How did it manifest for you? Yeah. So what's funny is that even when I was a little girl, despite how much I loved to perform and could never, no one could get the off button like to work. It was like, how do we turn this thing off? Like my poor brother, less that man who dealt with that. Um, when I would get to the actual performance, I almost always quit the, the day of mm. the school recital, the talent show, quit the day of, I mean, and meltdown tears because I had this perfectionist energy of, of wanting it to be so perfect that I riddled myself into a state where I simply could not even walk onto the stage. And later in my career, as I, as I grew up and I went into ballet, um, and definitely musical theater, what I found was that I became very disciplined and ritualed in, in somewhat of a, um, Oh, what's the word? Superstitious, right? That's a that's a word that I think can be thrown around a lot for performers is like, do you have, yeah. you'll see a dancer kind of knock on the wood of the stage or do some funny little thing. And it's, yeah, 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 it's, yeah. Their, it's their kind of like little like tick, tick or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say that something that happened to me was, and that I think can happen with performance anxiety is that you can move very quickly from a ritual and a routine that sets you in the zone to an anxious, unhealthy state of being that yeah. cripples you. Yes. And there's a very fine line between what is a ritual, what is a routine and a, a practice that you, a toolbox that you develop that sinks you in, that sets you up in a little bit of an electrified, nervous, healthy way. Cause yeah. we want that. We want that exhilarated kind of intense feeling. Yeah. But how do we keep it in that zone and not let it become kind of hysterical? And um, to, to just resonate with people um, and share an experience, I, I had, there's two moments I can think of that really kind of hit home on my performance anxiety when it would move into that kind of state, which was that I was always very ritual. Then I would come up with like for cats, for example, or for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I would have a specific routine I would do every single night upon arriving two hours before to the moment I would step onto that stage that would kind of set me up. And the healthy spectrum of that was that I felt like no matter what had happened to me that day, despite family drama or a moment, a relationship hardship or an exhaustion, the moment I would drill into that rhythm I was there and it was like, I'm in the zone and I'm going to perform and, and no one's got, nothing's going to take me out of this portal. Yeah. That's healthy. What became unhealthy were when the ticks would become, when I would allow them to kind of take over in an extreme way. And as an example for cats, I um, <clears throat> had a vocal solo that happened at the top of act two and what is happening to my voice right now, even as I'm talking, I'm not sure maybe. <laughs> it's coming back, y'all. Oh, yeah. oh, God. She's ready for moonlight, y'all. <laughs> Please. Fade in on a girl having a panic attack. <laughs> no, but what I would do was I had this little vocal solo, not a big deal, in my bones, in my blood, in my body. Just, I've got it. I had it. And what I would do was I began to develop an almost mental belief that if I didn't basically sing through it like 
20 times during intermission before going out on stage that I wasn't going to come out crystal clear. Yeah. And no one gave me that belief. I picked it up somewhere inside of myself, maybe one night. I, who knows, but I let that run me. And I would so much so that I would go into the back alley on a cold winter night and sing through it and sing through it. And I, I, I would do that every single performance until a stage manager actually pulled me aside and said, it's freezing degrees outside and you're still going into the alley and you're like repeatedly singing this thing and you, you, it's stop. Like, it's perfect. We don't, my cast members did not want to hear it anymore. I mean, it was like, when is your anxiety now affecting the people around you, you know? And I just attributed to excellence and it was like, it might be even more excellent if you just kind of do a quick meditation exercise, sing a couple scales and then hit the step. So yeah. that's just a share to, to say that I certainly dealt with it. And the tools that I have now in, re- in response would be that ritual matters. And I think building a healthy ritual for yourself, that's something that's actually grounding and connecting Maybe it's a meditation and it's one run through that hard note, you know, two, two goes at it, loving yourself up. And maybe you have this high five routine you do with the stage hand at the back left corner. Dancer that you see doing their full out variation three times behind the curtain, you know, or, um, you know, or like the tennis player with like 35 ticks before his serve. Like there's, there's so many layers of, of anxiety, (laughs) And it manifests differently for everyone. And I Perpetuates it. Um, the story, I was starting to ref- like. That's what I would say. I mean, things that what was you know, I might have incorporated that, into my was that something that that I didn't see as anxiety with, at the time. You know, like, for example, for me, it was more around injury and coming back from injury. So I like had a physical therapy routine, and uh, you know, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, just to kind of respond to the story you shared, which thank you for sharing that, and I know that if if we haven't had similar experiences, likely we know people that have like the this almost fear around, if I don't do any one of these things, if I don't take yeah. the vitamins, have the flax seeds, do the stretch, it's going to come back. And I, you know, and I became obsessive around that. And so performance anxiety is not only just what happens on stage or before you go on stage, but it's, it's so multi-layered and leveled within the industry of performing arts. I would say kind of for context as a kid, I would be sick, nervous, like um, throw up, nauseous, nervous the entire day of leading up to the show. And then the morning of, and literally would be like shaking. My mom will tell the story, shaking cold sweats from having thrown up in the wings. And then I would go on stage for Clara and it all went away. hundred percent of it went away. And in the minute I stepped on stage and it's the lead up. It's It's the the lead up. Yeah. It's so much of it is the lead up and, and with so many things, I was talking to a friend of mine about performance anxiety. He's not a dancer. He's a doctor. And he was like, you know, it's interesting because it's rare that as humans, you get to, you get to perform live, right? Like most people don't ever get that experience of performing live. And the closest, he said, the closest like association I could ever draw would be going up and asking someone for their number because you're having to like be present and be vulnerable and courageous and put yourself out there. And 
I kind of love that perspective because it's like, we do become practiced with the vulnerable sphere, living in the vulnerable sphere, the performative world and space, but it does not mean that people are not suffering. I mean, I've seen principal dancers of some of the world's top companies with like insane nervous jitters and we, it, it all just kind of manifests differently for everyone. So I would say that, um, again, having found yoga and mindful practices that are grounding after my dance career, um, which is extremely unfortunate timing. (laughs) I realized the many ways in which I could have transformed that energy to serve me in a way more efficient way for myself, for the experience that I had performing. Um, and as, as you said, so importantly, like for the environment that your nerves are affecting, and then there's an an anxiety around, well, am I making other people nervous? And it just, you know, everybody else, (laughs) you know, you know what you're, I love the word efficient that you just used because, um, I'm thinking about like, so what are efficient kind of tools? And, and I love that you mentioned the doing the variation, you know, four times before. And I was that I, when you're on a Broadway, in a Broadway performance, and for example, you know, with Veruca, I had a certain routine and I would do the routine full out like eight times behind the curtain as the show was going on. And, you know, you're doing that show eight times a week. Yeah. And I'm doing that eight times before the eight times. So what's eight times eight plus eight? <laughs> I mean, that's the math I'm not prepared to do, but my body is also not prepared to do <laughs> that. That is my body. And, you know, what would have been really powerful that I'm super aware of now. And I, I dipped into it while I was performing, but it's visualization. And mm-hmm. I know that a lot of performers know, have, have heard that. Um, and I, I did have a coach who would do that with me and sit me down and it's literally like, rather than what would have been so much more efficient would have been rather than spending that time behind the curtain, doing it for the 900th, literal 900th time before the 900th and one time in the performance would actually have been sitting down, popping that music in and seeing myself nail that, nail that sequence visually getting my body subconsciously aligned with that and then going out and doing it after a couple of heel raises, you know, little releve pulses, little releve, a little pulse, never hurt anybody, a little pulse, but that's, we're silly today, (laughs) but that's, that's seriously an incredible tool is the visualization. And it's something we can build that we can nourish, that we can absolutely put ourselves in a mental state to perform at peak level. And I think that if that were to become a more normalized technique um, and just a more normalized practice, we would see extremely um, different results in the performance level. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And part of that is committing to the training of that, like the mind game training, which, you know, we've been discussing a a lot this week. Um, and it's not something that I would say the majority of our generation and certainly not those who came prior had as ingrained as part of their training curriculum. Um, I was reading a study recently that was done on performing artists, dancers, specifically a company in England, and it was talking about performance anxiety and how it manifests and how it affects 
injury rates, injury recovery time, performance level, um, even like employee turnover. And it, it gave a lot of language, scientific language, but language around understanding anxiety. And I found it to be really helpful because like I said, like I didn't see my little injury preventative routine as anxiety, but it certainly was, it was definitely a brand of anxiety. And, you know, essentially there's two types of performance anxiety. There's somatic, which is what you feel in your body, butterflies in your stomach, maybe like little shivers, you know, and then there's cognitive anxiety, which is, um, worry and like negative imagery and the voices playing in your head that are not serving you. And there's also directionality of anxiety. And so, uh, that basically says that anxiety can be super facilitative, the butterflies in your stomach where you're like, okay, I'm alive. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. Or there's debilitative anxiety where you're like, I literally think I'm going to throw up. Or I used to stand in the wings and say to myself, like, I could literally get out on that stage and do whatever I want. And like (laughs) saying that to myself and being like, why, why would that thought even occur to me? You know, but, um, my sister is afraid of heights. And she explains to me that when she stands near an edge of something, she almost feels this like hook behind her belly. That's like pulling her off the edge. Like she's like, I could just jump. I should probably jump, you know? And it's, it's weird because anxiety is this mental game, largely, largely mental. And we have to be able to have little things, I think ritual, but boundaries around ritual. Exactly. Very important knowing, having little things in your tool pocket, like whatever, a five minute grounding meditation, some type of visualization guidance, um, a flow. I mean, there's so many free, (laughs) affordable and accessible ways of mitigating the anxiety, but more of just getting a control over it because we all have the power to do that. Um, and we also have the power to not do that. You have any thoughts, feedback, comments, topic ideas, feel free to DM us. Um, if you are someone just want a little sensitivity disclaimer, if you are someone who struggles with intense amounts of anxiety, perhaps you even have help or medication, all of these things, just a disclaimer to say that, um, again, it manifests differently for everybody, everybody and every mind. And, you know, we are not, we are not doctors. We are not licensed therapists, but we have an intimate knowledge of a lot of the experience, um, and historical patterns of the performing arts industry from our own careers. And that's what we're speaking from, of course, layered, layered education and, and advice from, from highly accredited, um, experts are, are, fueling and feeding these conversations as well. But just a little, a little blip to say that we see you, we hear you, and we honor the work that you're doing to take, to take control of, um, of your mind. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that Shelby. And, and for everyone that's listening to know that we know that just by sometimes sharing your, our own personal experiences and stories, it can kind of give permission for you out there that are listening to kind of take stock and feel some relatability and maybe find some humor in something that is obviously affecting so many of us. And um, that's the angle at which we come from this and that we're excited to continue to, to offer these conversations and offer what we're building for you. Mm-hmm. That's all, friends. Back for more next week. Bye. Want to connect further with our community at Artists Becoming? 
rate and review this podcast and subscribe to stay on top of our weekly guest artist conversations and our small chats, big topics. Check out www.artistbecoming.com to learn more about our monthly subscription membership filled with on-demand guided meditation and yummy yoga practices to support your unique journey as a performing artist. Follow along on Instagram at artistbecoming for sneak peeks and inspiring content and DM us the dream artists, athletes, performers, psychologists that you'd love to hear from or topics you'd like for us to unpack. Sharing is caring, so fire up that group chat, share to your stories, comment, share, 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 and just stay connected with us. We are here for your becoming.